I think originally I was like, my goal is to consume 10,000 calories a day because uh, you burn way more than that. And then over time, I mean, it just becomes kind of depressing, especially because it's a lot of junk food, you know, and by junk food, I mean like candy bars, soda, uh, sweets, you know, because it's just terrible for your mouth. You're like, oh, I just want like a piece of pizza or a sandwich. And then it's like, well, what's portable? What can you actually bring with you? What can you eat while you're riding? If I'm carrying it when I get it, you know, I'm not eating it right away because I'm like never trying to get to the point where I'm like bonked or super hungry. So it's like, okay, I might pack a burger and eat it two hours later or eat it 12 hours later. And that does not taste good. Welcome to episode 47 of the Eat for Endurance podcast featuring ultra endurance cyclist Lael Wilcox. Lael is one of the best, if not the best ultra endurance cyclists in the world. After years of bike touring, she began racing in 2014 and immediately established herself as a total badass. It would take too much time to go through all of her athletic accomplishments, but I'll include just a few highlights. And by the way, keep in mind that all of these adventures are 100% self-supported and often done solo. In 2015, she smashed the women's record in the Tour Divide, which is a 2,745-mile event, despite getting bronchitis and literally having to bike herself into the ER to get medical treatment right in the middle of her race. And just to give you a sense of the sheer number of miles that she logs on her bike in such relatively short periods of time, it's worth mentioning that she also rode her bike 2,100 miles to the start line of that race. And then not long after she finished it, she raced the entire Tour Divide all over again by herself because she knew she could ride it faster without getting sick this time, and she did. She improved her time by two days. In 2016, she was the overall winner of the Trans Am, a 4,200-mile bike race that crosses the U.S. from the west to the east coast. By overall, I mean outright. She beat men and women. In 2017, and again in 2020, she cycled 4,500 miles across Alaska, her home state. And in 2018, she finished second overall in the Nevada 1000, which is a 1,000-kilometer race with nearly 100,000 feet of climbing through the Swiss Alps. And in 2019, she finished second overall in the Silk Road Mountain Race, an 1,800-kilometer event in Kyrgyzstan that includes hundreds of kilometers of incredibly remote sections without opportunities to resupply. These are just some of her many, many accomplishments in the sport. And as you can imagine, planning and executing nutrition for such demanding and logistically challenging athletic endeavors is just mind-boggling. On top of all of this, she runs girls' biking mentorship programs and offers women's biking scholarships, which is, of course, really awesome. She is my first ultra-endurance cyclist on the podcast, and I will confess I only fairly recently learned more about this sport. One of my private nutrition clients is an endurance cyclist. You know who you are. Thanks for the the heads up here (laughs) and encouraged me to reach out to Lael for an interview. And I'm so glad that he did. I know many of my listeners are runners. I am, of course, a runner, too. And I'm not sure how many endurance cyclists I have in my audience. But either way, I know you will be inspired by Lael, and I can't wait to share her nutrition story with you. So without further ado, please enjoy my interview with Lael Wilcox. Lael, welcome to the Eat for Endurance podcast. How are you doing today? Oh, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Thank you for coming on. You know, I've had a ton of ultra runners on the show. I'm a runner myself, but no ultra endurance cyclist. So I'm really excited to chat about your nutrition. 
I'm, I'm sure there are some major differences there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the main thing is it's way easier to eat on the bike. You know, you're not yeah, yeah. moving around quite as much. So it's like you could you could really eat anything, pizza, spaghetti, whatever, as long as you can manage to eat it while going, you know, 20 miles an hour. Yeah, I mean, I read that you tend to eat eat most of your meals or, or snacks or whatever while riding. That must be very challenging. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing, though. It's like it, it saves so much time if you can not stop because you kind of your average speed goes down so much if you stop to eat. So if you can just keep going, even if you slow down a little bit, overall, it's such a gain. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that must be a skill that you develop, too. I mean, just as like us runners, we learn to like eat while running and ripping things open and make sure we're not tripping on whatever's in front of us. Like that must be such a skill where you're riding at 20 miles an hour and like dealing with packages or maybe that determines the types of things you reach for. But um, I mean, we'll, we're, we're definitely going to get into all of this discussion. I'm sure there's so many wild stories you're going to be sharing. Um, but we'll, we'll put that aside for a second because I always like to kick off these interviews by going back to your nutrition roots. So growing up in Anchorage, what was, you know, the food scene like in your house? What are some of your earliest food memories? Yeah, I mean, my mom was a great cook growing up and she made us dinner every night and uh, we ate as a family. So I feel super grateful to have had kind of that past. Um, yeah, that's the main thing I remember. And, you know, I didn't grow up really. I did grow up in Alaska, but I, I played kind of more traditional sports, soccer and basketball, where it's like you know, at halftime, you have some orange slices and that's about it. Yeah. And and you have a few siblings, right? I do. I have uh, two sisters and a brother. Are they athletic as well? Not really. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody in my family is, you know, I mean, they like to go for walks. Sometimes they go cross country skiing. They like to spend time outside, but you know, not competitive at all. Isn't that interesting? I mean, I'm obviously like nowhere near an athlete as you, but I'm also one of like pretty much the only active person in my family. And I find it so strange and intriguing, you know, what, like how that happens. And I mean, especially for someone like you, I mean, you're such a force in your sport and, and then your family isn't as athletic. That's, that's a very interesting tidbit. Um, but, you know, you didn't start cycling until age 20. And as you said, you were still active in these other sports. Um, and you even I, I read you love to run and you finished your first marathon, yeah. age 18. You were competing in your university's cross country team. So I'm just curious, you know, as you started to participate in these sports, did you start to view nutrition differently in any way, especially as you started to become more competitive um, before you started racing, of course, this is well before the cycling time um, happened. But yeah. How did your view of food change, if at all, during, um, you know, high school, college years? I mean, I think, you know, it, a sad part of it is that as a like a female runner, there's so much pressure to be kind of skinny that uh, that didn't cause me major problems. But it was always kind of a, like a background thing. Like if you're skinnier, you'll be faster. But, you know, I never really had that tiny build. So there was not really, I wasn't too focused on that, but I did see the women around me kind of struggling with that, which was tough. Cause it's like, we have these beautiful bodies that can do these amazing things. And it's like, why would we feel limited because we're not skinny enough or that kind of thing? Because it actually didn't end up affecting the results in, in that way. Um, but I did, so I went, I was on an exchange and Denmark in high school. I lived there for a year and, um, and I, you know, the food there was, 
was not great. It was like a lot of meat and potatoes and not a lot of produce. So, and I, you know, when you're living with a different family, you don't really have control over what you eat. So when I came back, I became a vegetarian. I was 16, I think, or 17. And I started eating like super, super healthy and really cared a lot about that. Uh, And I think that was the first time I ever really thought about my nutrition, you know, and then I think over time, I kind of um, relaxed on how, you know, kind of strict I was at that time. I was like, no soda, no French fries, no candy, you know, all this stuff. It's like, we can go into kind of an extreme where it's almost like, like a cult or something like, like I'm only eating healthy food. And then, and then the funny thing is now I'm an endurance athlete where it's like, often I'm just resupplying at the gas station where it's like, well, what healthy food is available, you know, or what real food is available. So I'm always kind of looking for, for something that resembles real food. And sometimes it's really hard to find. It's like tomato juice or string cheese instead of just eating Snickers all day. Yeah, or drinking melted ice cream, as I saw you often do. Yeah, that's more real, though. You know, you're like, well, at least this is cream. Uh, Yeah, and then the thing is, it's also like, what's portable? What can you actually carry? And what is what looks appealing after seven days out there? You know, it's like, what could you actually stomach? Uh, But it's like, I my first long race was a 400 mile road race that the cutoff time was 32 hours. And that's really when it clicked for me that I was like, oh my gosh, for endurance, eating is part of the job. It's like, it's your job to eat as much as you can pretty much, because that's how you'll like continue to be fueled and get the best results. You know, it's like, because it's like, you can't like stop eating hour 10 and then expect to keep riding hour 20. Uh, and it's so uh, during that first race, I was like, that's when it clicked. I was like, oh my gosh, I have to eat like it's my job. I have to eat every hour, you know, and then I have to think of what could I possibly eat? Potato chips, chocolate milk or whatever's available. Um, and it, it becomes like almost like a joke, but it's, it's definitely like such an important part of it. Absolutely. And just going back to kind of your earlier athletic days and especially as a runner, where do you think that pressure came from and why do you think that you were maybe not immune to it, but that you were able to kind of resist some of the struggle that some of your teammates or peers um, ended up, you know, really struggling with? I don't know. I mean, I don't think it's uh, unique to sports. It's like women's kind of uh, body image, you know, all over the place in magazines in Hollywood on TV you know, like all this stuff you see is like skinny is good, you know, and that's like kind of what we were, or, I mean, I feel like it's getting a bit better, but I feel like that was just, that was just kind of the focus or it's like, you couldn't, you couldn't avoid thinking that way, you know? And then, I mean, maybe because I was just always so much more muscular than, than the women I ran with that I was like, well, that's just not, that's just not my, you know, my body type. So it was like not even an option. The other thing about me is that it's like, I can't not eat. Like if I'm hungry, I have to eat. If I don't eat, I'll wake up in the night and eat. So it's kind of like, that's personally like, I'm not going to like kind of not be able to eat or, or maybe get into that like other people would just because it's like my body, my mind will like wake me up. And then it's like, okay, you have to eat. And that's just how it is. So it's like having kind of a, 
treating food with some kind of respect and honor of like sitting down to meals and enjoying it and having, you know, it combined with like a social experience is, is definitely my preference. I don't always get to do that because sometimes you just don't have enough time or, you know, I'm trying to ride 20 hours a day and I'm just eating on the bike. Uh, but I do feel like it's such a big part of, of culture and, and such a wonderful thing to share with other people um, that, you know, I really respect that. No, absolutely. And you mentioned that, you know, you did go through a period of time where you became vegetarian. It was, I mean, it sounds like it was kind of like a, you know, the aftermath of Denmark or whatever you want to call it, where you kind of were like, okay, I'm going to eat all these healthy foods. Um, But it sounds like it almost kind of became a little bit, not extreme, but you were kind of creating these rules for yourself and all that. Did that ever feel unhealthy to you? And what kind of snapped you out of that? I mean, I think it was kind of like an experiment where I was like, you know, these are like, this is healthy food. This is what I'm going to eat, which was great, you know, great to kind of try that out. I think eventually, so I was vegetarian for five years, which was, which was good because growing up, I didn't really like meat that much anyways. And I felt great. Then I started traveling a bit more, went back to Europe, was living in France and it was so kind of culturally offensive for me to not eat the meat that that people were preparing and it became like so uncomfortable to like even you know say I was vegetarian or like not eat the thing somebody made that I was just like forget it this is like not worth it and I came back like at that time, you know, it's like if you're vegetarian for long enough, it's really hard to start eating meat again. Like it makes you actually sick, you know. Yeah. And then so I was like, well, I gotta kind of ease my way back into eating meat because this is just like it's not working socially for me anymore. It's like I I need to be able to sit down at the table and eat whatever anybody's eating, which I feel grateful to have that ability too. I don't have any allergies. I don't really have any food restrictions or problems. So. I I came back and started eating meat again. And I was like, what am I supposed to do? Someone in my family was like, well, my biggest suggestion is just to chew a lot. (laughs) (laughs) I just started laughing because I'm like, that sounds ridiculous, but it's actually great advice. You're like, you have to like digest this food, chew the meat a lot get your body like primed to eat it and it'll actually work out. And so that was the start. And then, you know, it didn't take long to kind of incorporate it back into my diet. Um, but I mean, that was, you know, at this point, I think I was 20 when I started eating meat again or 18 or maybe 22. So it's been, it's been a good decade. Um, and now I just eat whatever, you know, I mean, now it's like, maybe I eat less meat, but more for, because it's just bad for the planet to eat meat, you know? So, but I can, I can sit down with people and eat whatever's on the table and I'm happy with that. Yeah. I mean, I think when, you know, I mean, you're probably one of my more well-traveled guests on this show. I mean, you've been to so many different countries and then of course the nature of your sport, you're in just so many locations, some of which are remote and sometimes you just can't be picky about what you grab. Right. So it, it, not always a luxury to be able to be picky about what you eat. But I mean, what what you described just made me think about, I don't know if you've um, ever cycled around Vietnam at all, but I was in Vietnam a while back and we were just so sick of eating pork. I just like couldn't eat any more pork. And, and I don't really eat a whole lot of pork. I'm Jewish, but I don't keep kosher, but like whatever, 
you know, I still am not a huge pork fan. And I was just like, at the end of the trip, we go to this restaurant and we're like, we would like something vegetarian. And they just looked at us like kind of confused and like, oh yeah, sure. And they bring this dish and it's like, I forget what kind of dish it was, but it had like little pieces of pork in it versus like huge pieces. I was like, this is not vegetarian. And like, I remember another time in Italy, like, yeah, the waiter like literally did not understand. They had like a meat cart. And they just didn't understand, like, when we didn't want the meat because we were just so sick of it. Yeah, so I, I get it. And it's just, I think nowadays it's, it's more well accepted, but, you know, a while back, not so much. <laughs> so totally yeah, get totally. it. It's just, like, totally out there. They're, like, it's oh, just, yeah. like, mind-blowing. It's, like, wait, what? You're not going to eat this? And then it's offensive. And then it's also nice. they just can't, like, wrap their heads around. And then it's, like, in the end, it's, like, well, you got to eat something. So, yeah. you know, well, food, you know, food is love, food is culture, food is so many things. And it's such a big part of, you know, when you travel, you experience that, that culture, that country. And as you said, I mean, it's, it's such a huge part of it and it's a big part of fueling yourself. So, you know, it's, it's better if you have more flexibility as much as you can. Um, so speaking of world travel, um, you know, cycling for you started out as a way to commute locally, but after college, it became the way in which you traveled and really experienced the world. Um, I imagine your nutrition during these years must've been really interesting because for a big chunk of the year, you're living on your bike, you're traveling in like so many foreign countries, and I'm sure you must have some wild stories to share on the food front. So definitely want to hear those. Um, but then like another huge chunk of the year, you're working in a restaurant, I assume mostly in one location to earn money for your next adventure. So I'm really curious, like what did your nutrition look like during these times, you know, your kind of early bike touring years? Oh yeah. I mean, then too, I was like dirt poor. So that was another part of it where I was like, I can't like afford whatever food I want. So yeah. then when I'm like on the road, on the bike, I'm eating like rice and beans pretty much. That was pretty much it. Um, really? Okay. Yeah, pretty much. And then, you know, sometimes even back when I was working, I would be eating that, but then I would also just try to eat whatever I could at the restaurant. So, you know, yeah. any like messed up orders or you know they'd like let you have free soup or whatever the leftovers it was pretty much like that um but I did work in I must have worked in like at least 20 different restaurants because I'd like end a trip and then be in some town and then just get a job so I worked yeah. in like Key West Florida I worked in Annapolis Maryland I worked in Tacoma Washington, Albuquerque, um, all over the country. Uh, so then it would be like, you know, whatever that restaurant's focused on. But I, I tried to pick places that had like really good fresh food because that's mm -hmm. also what I want to eat anyway. And I'm happy to like serve that to people. Um, so that was a big part of it too. But yeah, on the road, it was definitely uh, spending as little money as possible. Um, and then some countries, it's like, well, the food is very inexpensive anyway. You know, traveling down into Mexico is like delicious food, low prices. That was great. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. And then you find out what's actually available while you're out there. You know, traveling in the Middle East, it was delicious food. It's like hummus and um, flatbreads and so many good fresh fruits and vegetables and dates and halva and all this great food. Um, and then I'm like doing a race across Kyrgyzstan and these people are nomadic and there's nothing out there. When you finally <laughs> find something, it's like, you know, some like really old crackers, 
uh, <laughs> old fried bread, you know, it's just like, oh my God, what am I going to do? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, oh, you, just, you figure out, or like riding across South Africa, like they're just love meat. Yeah. <laughs> That's like all you find. And then you, and then I ride through Lesotho, this tiny mountain country in South Africa. And there's like, there's like nothing but like cornmeal. You're like, okay. But I mean, it kind of does give you a perspective because it's like, well, if that's all I'm finding, that's all people are eating here too. It's like, wow, that's pretty limited. Yeah. What are, what are your most memorable food moments from your travels during, you know, these early bike touring years? Yeah. I mean, I remember, you know, that, that's the cool thing about traveling by bike is that, you know, you pass through these different places and people always invite you in. Uh, they want to feed you. You know, because they're like, oh, you're on a bike, you're outside, you're hungry. And then sometimes, you know, it's like you don't even speak the same language as them. So they just keep setting plates of food in front of you. I think riding through Albania is like they have like their main thing are their shepherds. They have sheep and then they have like sheep's milk products. Uh, So then I go into this like little hut and this old lady is just putting like different versions of yogurt and cheese and just different sheep dairy products like in front of me and then you know not saying anything she's just like waiting for me to eat them <laughs> oh my god you <laughs> must have a really crazy. strong stomach you must have oh such a my strong god. stomach you're just like trying this different stuff and just like smiling and nodding your head you know or <laughs> oh my gosh or that whole region like the Balkans not only food but they're like like uh distilling their own liquor (laughs) they're like they all want you to like drink with them yes and i've i've been in that situation there's like rakia and they're like hey you know because like also they don't want to drink alone so it's like oh great now i have a visitor now we can have a party you know or like ukraine same thing but i mean that was actually just vodka but it's like you know it's like such a funny thing it's like when people, that's how people kind of get together. They like invite you in. It's like, or they might have coffee or you could have tea. You could have vodka, some kind of food. And then, you know, it's, it's always something different. And I mean, I don't think there was ever any food where I was like, oh my God, I really don't want to drink that. In, in Kyrgyzstan, they had um, fermented camel's milk, I think. Or no, Ooh. fermented mare's milk. Uh, like horse <laughs> milk. And oh, I was like, no, that makes I'm, cringe. I'm not drinking that. <laughs> that wow. was where I like drew the line where I was like, I, I don't want that. You know, cause it's yeah. like, you could also say no and just drink tea or something. But I'm like, oh dear God, no way. I'm not it's drinking so hard, that. Though, Cause you don't speak their language. You don't want to offend. They're yeah. like being hospitable. But like also the difference by the way is like, you're getting like trashed on whatever. I mean, because this this homemade stuff, and I definitely have experienced that abroad before. This homemade stuff is really strong, yeah. and you get back on a bike, and they don't have to do that. <laughs> I'm on a trip, um, like just backpacking. We stayed with a local family. My husband basically was in a drinking contest with this like she must have been like a hundred year old woman. My husband was like puking everywhere. The old woman was like perfectly fine. Oh my god. Yeah, I hear you. Yeah, you're like, is this stuff right. gonna make me blind? <laughs> what is this? Yeah, what is this? Oh man, I mean, that's just that's part of the big adventure, though. <laughs> and you're young. And you're like, yeah, well, I'll, I'll be okay. <laughs> you're like, whatever. We'll just see how this goes. <laughs> oh my goodness. 
I mean, and along those lines, I mean, touring is not racing, obviously, but you're still burning a ton of energy. You're spending so much time on the bike. So I'm curious, like, I, I mean, I'm, I'm guessing that your fueling strategies, it was pretty relaxed. It's not like, I'm guessing you didn't have any kind of routine or, you know, plan. It was just kind of, what can I find? But maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. Tell me a little bit about how you made sure that you were, you know, kind of keeping on top of things during bike touring. Oh yeah. It was just whatever you can find. And I mean, the other part too, is that, you know, it's like, you don't want to carry tons and tons of stuff or you realize you don't want to carry stuff around that you don't actually want to eat. You Mm. know, I mean, even now it's like, sometimes I'll have, you have like kind of like emergency reserve food. Like basically I'll bring like, this tastes good too, but it's so high calorie that I'm like, I'll just leave it in my bag. Like a couple of packets of trail butter. It's like an almond butter mix. Yeah. Yeah. And then I'm like, Oh, then it's kind of like mentally nice to know like, Oh God, if like I end up, you know, for 12 hours without being able to find anything, at least I have this and I'll get through, Mm. you know, Mm. but otherwise it's like, you don't want to carry tons and tons of food. And then you end up riding through like Europe and you're like, Oh, this is a dream. I don't have to carry anything. I'll always find a small town that has a bakery, has a cafe, has like a farmer's market, you know, and that's like living it up. But then you're like traveling through Alaska where I'm from and you're like, okay, I'm definitely not going to see food for three days. And then it gets a little bleak, but then you're in like the most beautiful place in the world. So it's like, well, that's the, you know, that's the compromise. Yeah. Well, I mean, that, and that was going to be one of my later questions about, you know, emergency planning and, um, and all that. So it sounds like your kind of emergency plan is to keep something in reserve that it's like, I will not eat this unless I'm in a really dire situation. And then I <laughs> end up right? eating it like every time. Oh, no. <laughs> like, all right. Well, it's time for that, you know, and then you're just like, well, I'll make it whatever, you know, because yeah, it ends up happening. It's like the store's closed or whatever, but yeah. Yeah. I I try to have just like backup and it's basically like, you know, nut butter is kind of my backup because it's so high calorie. And because I've eaten so much of it over the years, because it's such a, like a go-to that I'm like, oh, I'm not going to be like, oh yeah, I'm going to eat that right away. Sure. You can't eat your reasonable. not. You can't eat your emergency ration. <laughs> uh, well, water, I feel like, is the bigger issue. And and I'm gonna again. I'm gonna. I have like a thousand questions for you about when we get into race nutrition. But we may as well touch upon it a little bit now with the touring situation because you were still going through some very remote sections and and water. You know that's a little bit trickier because you obviously can only carry so much. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know what was your kind of strategy when you're in all these foreign countries that you maybe weren't as familiar with, you know, you're not scouting out the course as I know you do with your races often. Um, you know, yeah. What, what did you do about water and making sure you had enough and it was safe? Yeah. I mean, the, I think the most challenging places for water have definitely been more of the desert trips. Like I mm-hmm. scouted this super long route, 1800 miles down the Baja Peninsula, uh, called the Baja Divide. And it's basically a desert, the whole thing. But then it's like, the Pacific on one side, Sea of Cortez on the other, but there's really no water. So that was harder as far as like, especially scouting the route. Uh, I didn't know where, you know, the resupply points would be or if there was any surface water. So for that trip, I was carrying up to 10 liters of water on my bike, which is insanely heavy and, yeah. and bulky and awkward. Carrying water sucks. Where do you put it? 
I don't want to carry a backpack because it's like you sit heavy and it's not good. So it's like you have these huge reservoirs in my frame bag on my bike. I had water on my fork plates on my bike, you know, and that was just kind of necessary because there's you just don't know when you're going to find it. But typically with water, as far as water safety, like if it's good to drink, if it's not good to drink, then it will more or less be widely available to purchase. Um, Mm. and if that's like, if it's really not good to drink, people will be buying water. So then you just rely on buying it in different places. Um, otherwise I, you know, when I started touring, I think I had like a water pump or something like Mm -hmm. that to purify it. And then I did, uh, I rode from Alaska down to the rest of the U S through Canada to get to the start of the tour divide, this long race through the Rockies. And I had brought one of those kind of UV water purifying sticks. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I don't even think this is doing anything. So I just, <laughs> I just sent it home and I was like, forget it. And then from then on, that was in 2015. I just drink it. I drink any water I find. No, I, like right out of the source? Yes. Like, oh my God. And sometimes it is pretty freaky like oh you definitely see cows and animals and I'm like whatever I'm just gonna drink it and And you don't get sick and I don't get sick you were like a freak of nature man (laughs) like I don't know how you handle that (laughs) I'm like whatever I know it's risky but I'm so sick of like all this kind of purifying caring wasting all this time I'm like I'm just drinking wow Wow. Oh, okay. Well, I'm going to knock on all the wood around. Knock, 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 knock. That your luck continues because, wow. Amazing. I don't think you get so sick. And then people, and then of course, because I do that, everybody tells me like their worst stories. Yes, I'm sure. <laughs> but it's I working sure. out. You know, it's been it's working uh, out until it does seven years. <laughs> Oh, that's nuts. Um, but I have great respect for you. That's 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 incredible. All right, let's back up because I I mean I have so many other questions. Before we move on, I I totally forgot to ask you as a runner, I just have to ask, do you still run at all? I know you did some ultras, you know, when you got into cycling. Is running still in your life? Oh, I love it. Yeah, I do. But you know what? I uh actually got more into long distance cycling because I had uh an Achilles injury. Um, and this was like 2014, I think. Mm-hmm. And I had such a bad, like, and actually I, I was injured. I was working in a restaurant that the, um, dining room was on up a flight of stairs and I blew up my Achilles going up and down the stairs. Oh, uh, that's such a bummer. Which is so terrible. I was working, we had just opened the restaurant. I was working like 14 hour shifts. I mean, that's like endurance uh, itself. And then yeah. my Achilles, like my whole ankle swelled up so much that I couldn't see any of the bones. And I was like, "Uh Oh, this is not good. But I had no idea what was happening because I'd never had that happen before. Um, And then I was basically so injured that I couldn't, I I was still working, but I couldn't run for like a year. And I was so distraught because I love running so much. I was like, Oh my God, I felt like somebody died, you know, because it's like, you can't do the one thing you love to do. So then I just started riding farther and farther. I was like, I don't care. I'm just going to ride because I was so frustrated that I started just ride. I was borrowing my mom's road bike and like riding to the next city, you know, 130 miles away on my days off uh, just to kind of vent. 
Um, and that's when I found out that I could really ride. Uh, but it was it was from being injured from running. And then since then, I've just been much more protective of it. You know, like yeah. I run like an hour and I'm like super happy with that. And I'm like, I don't want to push it uh, because I just I feel like it might just not be as sustainable as cycling for me. So it's kind of like I keep it like special. Yeah, that's that's awesome. So like how many times a week would you run or is it not even a weekly thing? Oh, yeah. You know, like last week I probably ran three times in the week. Oh, okay. Oh, so it's like a regular part of your, your whole Yeah, routine. especially if, like, my day's limited as far as, like, how much time I can spend riding. Then I'm like, oh, I mm-hmm. can just do a quick run. Because I yeah. feel like it's such an efficient workout. Oh, yeah. Um, and then, you know, it doesn't take any time to get ready. You're just out the door. I'll run for, like, like six miles, something like that. You know, it's, like, yeah. nothing huge, but just uh, just to get out there. And I've been trying to run, like, a little bit faster again you know, really mm-hmm. get my heart rate up. And that's been super mm-hmm. fun. Um, awesome. Cause I haven't done that for years. So yeah, I, I love it. But yeah, it's like just basically, you know, running on the bike path, all flat, super easy, very sure. low key, but I still love it. Yeah. And you were pretty fast, actually. You ran that first marathon in 318, I saw. So you you have, I mean, clearly you're a talented athlete overall, but you know, you're, you're a talented runner as well. So. <laughs> Anywho, okay, let's get into race nutrition now. Um, you kicked off your racing career in 2014. I guess that kind of coincides with that injury, then, right? Is that that's kind of what led you into it? Yeah. It sounds like, yeah. And and you quickly made quite the impression on the whole bike racing scene. And I'm not. I don't want to waste time rehashing. You know, all the racing accomplishments you you have, and there are hundreds of articles out there on that, obviously. But I do want to set the stage for a nutrition discussion, only because. I'm pretty sure I have listeners out there who may not be familiar with you and your sport. So please bear with me just for a moment while I go through a few of the things that you've done and just, again, kind of set the stage here. So you're typically doing multi-day, sometimes multi-week long bike packing events that are 100% self-supported. You're barely sleeping along the way. You're often in remote locations. And again, just to give some example, the events you've done, you mentioned the Tour Divide. That's 2,745 miles um, that runs length of the Rockies. You finish that in 15 days and 11 hours, which is super fast, but it's also a really long period of time for you to be doing this, obviously. Um, You won outright the Trans Am bike race. That's 4,200 miles in just over 18 days. You've done like some stuff in the Swiss Alps, you know, climbing 100,000 feet in four days and 10 hours. You've done other countless races, FKTs and other self-supported adventures since then. So just want to throw that all out there to demonstrate that. What you do is truly mind-boggling, especially when I begin to think about the nutrition, because we're not it's not just a question of getting in the enormous amount of calories that you require to keep going and performing at such a high level, but you know, also the nutrition planning and the execution of all, which we've already kind of touched on, um, especially since you can't carry that much. All right, so that the stage is set. Let's kick off this discussion. Um, we've already talked a little bit about how you kind of can scout a course out ahead of time, and that's part of your nutrition hydration prep. So I just want to hear a little bit more about what this may look like and also what you do to prep for races in more remote locations. Like I know the the Silk Road Mountain Race um, has some pretty long sections without resupply. So yeah, why don't you talk a little bit about that first? Yeah, I mean, thanks for that kind of run through. That's so cool <laughs> to even think about all that stuff. But yeah, yeah, yeah I mean, you've done really, a lot. So the basic thing is, uh, you know, when I when I started the really long stuff like Tour Divide or something that's going to take two weeks, 
I think originally I was like, my goal is to consume 10,000 calories a day because uh, you burn way more than that. And then over time, I mean, it just becomes kind of depressing, right? You're <laughs> just like, especially because it's a lot of junk food, you know, and by junk food, I mean like candy bars, soda, uh, sweets, you know, because it's just terrible for your mouth. You're like, oh, I just want like a piece of pizza or a sandwich. So really, I do try to find as much like, of food that resembles real food along the way as I can. If that's sandwiches, burritos, even hot dogs, I'm like, well, at least it tastes like normal. Um, yeah. So I, I, and then it's like, well, what's portable? What can you actually bring with you? What can you eat while you're riding? I mean, most yeah. things, you know, maybe not like, like, uh, spaghetti. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe you can. I have brought that Ziploc bag before. I've even had people like wrap up, you know, pancakes and scrambled eggs and bacon in bags or in like uh, tin foil just to take it to go because it's like you just want something real. But then it's like also yeah. this stuff. If I'm carrying it when I get it, you know, I'm not eating it right away because I'm like never trying to get to the point where I'm like bonked or super hungry. So it's like okay, I might pack a burger and eat it two hours later or eat it 12 hours later and that does not taste good 12 like hours later hamburger oh. and french fries <laughs> but then it's like it's self-supported so there's not really much I can do because you know I might go like a couple hundred miles with no food resupply so then I'm like well this is what I have I've got to eat it and in some cases it's like you don't know the place you're getting the food from you get like oh my gosh, you're in the Trans Am in Sisters, Oregon. I got like two massive burritos and took them to go. And then I started eating it and I was like, this is the worst thing I've ever tasted. Uh, and, and there was nothing open. It was like a Sunday. There was no, there, I was in Eastern Oregon in the middle of nowhere. There's nothing open. So then I'm like, oh, this is what I have to eat for the next 24 hours. And I did. Oh, I just God. ate it all. You can't, Why was like, it so bad? Oh, it was just terrible. It was just like, oh, it was like this like shredded chicken and bell peppers. And it just tasted so bad. I was like, oh, God, what is this? But you don't know it's going to be like that. You're like, oh, a chicken burrito. That'll be pretty good. No way. Oh, God. <laughs> so bad. You know? uh, but then I found like something like pizza. It's like, well, that tastes good, cold, hot, whatever. Even if it's like terrible quality, it still tastes fine. So that's a winner for sure. Uh, yeah. What, what are some of your favorite things to eat while training or, you know, foods or products or anything? Oh yeah. I mean, actually, you know, the past couple of years, so I started working with gnarly for nutrition and mm -hmm. because then I'm like, you know, I, I totally came from the background where I was like, it doesn't matter what you eat. You just have to keep eating. And I said that. And then, uh, they were like, actually it, it does. <laughs> <laughs> But they were so cool about it. They were like, you know, we understand that you only have access to so many different like food supplies while you're out there in the middle of nowhere. But they're like, we're trying to find like a compromise where it's like you can definitely have some good nutrition and then pair it with whatever else you find. So they talked me into drinking these vegan recovery protein shakes mixed with like a power greens mix. Um, every morning and every night. So I, I'll sleep for like four hours. So I like shake one of these up. I go to sleep, wake up and drink one. And I was like, all right, I'll try it out. And oh my gosh, it made the world of difference. I was like, whoa, I feel so much better. 
<laughs> and I was like, totally thought this was all bogus. So actually, you know, this is, I mean, you can give yourself, help yourself out, but then it's like for, you know, two weeks, how many of those can I carry? That was me, my question. Yeah. So how do you, how do you balance that? Cause you're, you need to carry so little and you're focused on efficiency and speed. Um, so do you not carry enough for your entire trip or what do you do? I mean, so I, the last, I used this last summer, my longest races for like four days, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I was like, Oh, four days, I could definitely carry enough eight of those you know, that's not so much. I can get that in my seat pack. Okay. Uh, if it was like 14 days, I had a plan to ship myself some to a post office. Then I was like, ah, if they're open, when I go through, I'll pick them up. If not, I'll deal with it. It's fine. And Um, that's okay with the rules of being self-supported. Okay. Okay. Good. Okay. And it depends on the race too. Some races are like, nope. Some races are like, oh, you could send yourself something to the post office. One race in Switzerland, they're like, we have a depot halfway. You can like put together a box and we'll leave it in this location for you. So really depends on the event. But yeah, Yeah. if there's something like that, then I'm like, oh, I could stash them for the second half. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. uh, I mean, yeah. Yeah. So now it's like before I used to be more focused on like consuming more. Now I'm like pretty much in these races, like something that takes like 10 days, I'm even five days, like I'm going to lose weight uh, just because like, I just can't eat enough to keep up. And I also don't want to stress out about that. Like, yeah, when it's longer, I'll just eat more when I feel like I need to eat stuff. That's like a little trickier are events that are like 24 hours because you're going at a faster pace. You're not stopping to sleep and you need more calories for all of those hours. Like I did a 24 hour mountain bike race three days ago, which was so much fun. Oh my God. I loved it. Uh, and that the format for that was riding 16 mile loops mm-hmm. and then, uh, but it could be supported. So you could like stop, get a Coke, you know, eat whatever along the way. Um, but for that, it was like, well, how much time are you going to take to eat something and then get back on the bike and do it again and again? And it's, it's all single track. So it's like, you can't really eat while you ride, uh, mm. cause it's technical. So for that, I had like all these like gnarly, uh, this fueling drink, which was great. I had Coke, I had coconut water. I had three insurers, you know, like those old mm-hmm, people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> were great. I had like Asian noodles. I had potato salad, you know, but I'm like, how much do you actually want to eat? But I was like, I know I have, I know I need this. So I just kept eating. Um, that must've felt so luxurious. <laughs> having like a little aid station there exactly my wife Rue was there she's like what do you want on the next lap you know and then she'd get it like ready to go but it's like you're also so fried you know it's like even then I'm like 20 hours into this and I'm like I don't know anything savory nothing sweet you know basically that and that's yeah that's it yeah, that's that's really interesting. And you mentioned kind of a, a more of a sports drink. Are you ever kind of taking in sports drinks or salts, like salt pills or any other kind of sport products on these um, races that you do, kind of the more typical longer form races? Or is it really just the the protein shakes that you've been bringing? I also do. So Gnarly has this Fuel 2.0 that's like a branch chain amino acids and calories. Mm. And those are great. Um, so I'll drink that. Um, no salt pills, but I just eat super salty food. 
Mm-hmm. Um, what else? I mean, I take caffeine. Yeah, caffeine pills. <laughs> uh, yeah, usually during a longer race, I'll have like a caffeine, one caffeine pill in the morning when uh-huh. I wake up. Uh, it kicks in in like about an hour, and then I'm like flying high. Like, <laughs> uh, yeah, because it's like such a mood lifter. You feel oh, yeah. so good. Um, I Do you take caffeine at night? No, no caffeine okay. at night. Cause it, it not, unless I don't want to sleep, yeah. you know, but the other thing okay. is like even sleeping during this stuff, it's like, I try to sleep like four hours a night, but it's hard because your heart rate is so high, mm-hmm. you know? So then trying to like mellow out to sleep, because I know if I sleep, I'll recover, I'll be able to ride better the next day. Um, so I usually do some meditating at night to fall asleep and, you know, and I'm like laying in the dirt breathing deeply. And then the next thing I know I'm asleep. Um, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Oh, there's just like so much going on there and, and kind of going back to the, the prep part. I mean, as, as you were saying, like gas stations, and I guess if you're, you know, kind of scouting out the course, you kind of know where roughly where some of those places are bakeries in Europe, you kind of know you're going to hit those, um, in some of the more remote situations, like with the Silk Road or maybe some other things you've done, um, you know, what kind of prep do you, you know, do you do for that, you know, in in terms of what you bring or how you kind of supply yourself to make sure you get through it? I think I, you know, in some of these places, like, like riding the Alaska pipeline, I knew I wouldn't find food for the first 250 miles, you know, and I was like, well, that's going to take me like two days. Um, so then I'm just like carrying basically as much as I can fit in I mean, and then also it has to be stuff that I kind of want to eat. So for the start, I'm like carrying like lots of like baked goods because I know, Mm -hmm. oh, that's going to be like super easy to eat. And then I have like the nut butter for more of a backup. I have, um, you know, just anything I can fit. And that was kind of the same for Kyrgyzstan, too. It was like just pack a bunch in the beginning and then find whatever you can along the way. I mean, in Kyrgyzstan, if I found like Snickers, I was so pumped was like, yeah, because it was like so rare for them to even have that, you know. I mean, at one point in the race, I was like, I got to this kind of truck stop area, and it was like two in the morning, so only one spot was open, which I was grateful for. And then I was buying like hard-boiled eggs from the counter that had just been sitting there. And then I'm like on my bike peeling them. <laughs> like, this is- How do you do that? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm like resting my yeah. elbows on the handlebars and just trying to like ah. peel the shells off these eggs. And then, you know, eating a boiled, hard boiled egg on its own, with, like no salt. It's just so dry. And you're just like, yeah. oh, but you're like, well, it's better than nothing. At least there's some protein <laughs> in it. But there I mean, go. I got like hard boiled eggs in like a stack of like five huge discs of fried bread and that's what I ate for the next day it was gross (laughs) at least there was something what what is actually the most disgusting food that you had to eat because you didn't have any alternatives oh my god that chicken burrito was pretty bad (laughs) um you know let's see I had oh my god during the Trans Am I'd always get whatever was in the hot case um and one time I was in like Oh God, where was I? Uh, trying to remember the state. Maybe it was Montana. I had, uh, I got the one thing that was in the hot case and it was like stapled shut in a paper bag. 
<laughs> it's like, well, Mystery let's just food. get it. Yeah, and then I opened it up, and it was like this burger, cheeseburger patty, just deep fried in a little disc. <laughs> I mm. took a bite, and I was like, whoa, what is that? And then I ate the whole thing, because that's what I had. But I was like, that is some crazy carnival food. You must really have such a strong stomach. There, there really has been no time where your stomach was like, nope, not accepting this one. <laughs> I mean, I've been just like, ooh, because like your stomach does not feel good if you're like not sleeping. You know, yeah. oh my God, the transit is so freaking hot. It was like it hit 106 degrees most of the days. It was unbearable. So for that, I would try to eat like something bigger earlier in the morning when it wasn't like blazing. Because then by the afternoon, there was no way I could eat in that heat. I mean, it's just like impossible, you know. So then I'm at that point drinking iced tea, like sweet tea or Gatorade or whatever I could find. I would also like go in the gas station and like soak my T-shirt in the sink every chance I got. Because I was like having like wet clothes on definitely cools you down. But that was oh, yeah. that was like my only option. I couldn't like take a break and sit in the shade. It was just yeah. so hot, and it's so hard to eat when it's so hot. Ugh, that must have been rough. And those are those times where, like, we're you know we're particularly worried about you know your electrolytes, and and that's when nausea can really hit too because of the heat and dehydration or electrolyte imbalances or whatever. So it's like keeping track of all those things and perform again performing it like you're just racing. I mean, you are gutting it. That's it really is mind-boggling to me. <laughs> it must be I mean, so hard. For that race, I was averaging 237 miles a day for 18 days. It's insane. Days. It insane. But it's, it's like insane. you can't take a break. You know, it's like you got to rush into the gas station, get what you're going to get, and get a move on. Because it's like you miss an hour, your average goes way down. And it's so hard to make it back up. Yeah. Oh, man. And for my listeners, like, definitely check out articles out there I'll link to something in the show notes about how you you know passed what was his name Stefan or whatever at the end like on the last day I mean like this is the race that you won out right and that I mean you got to chuckle at that like the the thing I love the most though is that he wanted to finish together you're like hell no (laughs) I've been thinking about that a lot lately because I'm giving a TED talk yes a couple weeks yeah and and I'm like sure I'm telling that story and Good. so then I've been practicing because I have to memorize the talk. So I think about it every single day. And it is just so crazy. This guy's like, let's just finish it together. Like, no way. Only a, only a man would say that. I'm sorry. Racing? Like, we are. Yeah. How, why have I worked so hard to get to this point? Yeah, F that. You know, forget it. And then it's I'm like, gonna beat your ass. Forget <laughs> it. Yeah, this is a race. So, oh yeah, man, no, I'll, I'll 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 link to that, and definitely looking forward to to listening to your TED talk. Is it gonna be be online at some point? It will. Yeah, yeah, they're recording it. Uh, awesome. I'm doing it in my hometown, Anchorage, Alaska. So I'm oh, wonderful for that. And but yeah, it's definitely uh, intimidating. I've never done anything like that in my life. You haven't done any kind of motivational speaking or anything like that. I know a lot of athletes do that kind of stuff. I do it just like off the cuff. You know, yeah. nothing formal. And they're like, sure. oh, TED Talk, this is really formal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You gotta have to be, be prepared. <laughs> yeah. Ah, you'll crush it. You'll do fine. <laughs> yeah. Just speak, you know, speak from your experience, speak from the heart. I'm sure you'll, you'll crush yeah. it. Um, all right. I have a few more questions on racing and then we'll move on. 
Um, so have you ever been in a situation where you've just completely run out of food or water because, you know, something unexpected happened, like a mechanical or you were somewhere really remote or whatever else? Oh, yeah, all the time. <laughs> it happens all tell, the time. Tell me stories. I mean, like Alaska <laughs> doing this pipeline. First, it was like freezing temperatures, super muddy, cold. Then the next day, it was like a heat wave. And I ran out of water like twice, three times that day because I just had two bottles. And I'd like chug a liter, carry what I could, run out of water, be out of water for three hours, and then just be so happy when I got some. Um, Yeah, and it's uncomfortable. But, you know, it's like it's not super dangerous. It's just uncomfortable. Your brain's just like, I just want something to drink. but yeah, it's fine. My first bikepacking race in Israel, I I ran out of food for like six hours, maybe. Oh my goodness. And I was just like, your brain is just so out of it. You're just like, I know I'll do a lot better when I get some food. I know I'll do a lot better when I get some food. But like, you just have to keep going, you know. Is that then, poor planning or what happened there? I don't remember. Uh, <laughs> because you were so like hungry. I think I passed <laughs> wow. through like a you know, where this shop or restaurant was in the night when it was closed. Cause that's the other part too, is like, you know, it's like the hours of these places. Sometimes you think it's going to be open, then it's not, or you're somewhere like Europe where there's like never open. (laughs) (laughs) They're like, Oh yeah, we're open in the daytime, except not between two and five. And then we close again at six. (laughs) And forget Sundays. Yeah. Nothing on Sunday at all. Like, oh, God, what? where do these people be? Uh, yeah, so, yeah, stuff like that. Um, i trying to think, though. Nothing where I felt like it was, like, dangerous. I was just, it's just uncomfortable. And you're just like, okay. I know I'm not performing at my best, but whatever. I just have to keep going until I get something. Okay. Well, I'm happy to hear there have never been, like, really scary situations in terms of nutrition, at least. I did yeah. hear about that really, like, crazy road. What was it? Some- I forget what it's called. Oh, the Highway of Tears. Yeah, yeah. Oh God, so awful. awful. Anyways, people can read about it. We don't talk about. Yeah, Yeah, at least it wasn't about wasn't about nutrition. (laughs) No, it wasn't. It was just women being kidnapped. Yeah, not being murdered. There were like billboards all along the highway of just these women that have gone missing. Their pictures, you know, their information. Dozens and dozens. It's awful. Crazy, crazy stuff. Um. All right. And I think, so I think we've covered race nutrition. Is there anything else you want to throw in there that we didn't talk about? I think we covered most of it. Yeah, that sounds like it. You know, you just have to keep <laughs> eating fine food and deal with it. I have like an iron stomach, so I'm super lucky yeah. with that. But you know, you the thing is, lucky. it's like not, I, I love food for the most part, but it's not very enjoyable to eat while racing. Yeah. Uh, it's a job, yeah, I, as you said. It's a. It's almost yeah. like a chore. It, it just becomes, you need to get it in, and that's that, right? Right. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you for sharing all of that. Um, I can only imagine how messed up your body must feel after these long races. <laughs> you know, you're pushing your body physically to the max. You're barely sleeping. You're eating all these, like, insane foods for long stretches of time. And even your 24-hour thing, I mean, that's still really, that's the hard effort for 24 hours without sleep. So... Um, I mean, I've heard you talk about how, I mean, you know what you do is not healthy or good for your body, but obviously yeah. you love doing it. So I want to chat now about coming off of these races, how you recover, what your favorite foods are for, you know, after you finish a vet, like what, like what's the first thing you crave and what do you continue craving? Um, and how long does it take you to feel good again, or at least back to your baseline? 
Yeah. Um, let's see. Yeah. After coming off of a race, usually I'm like, I've been eating so much. I don't feel like eating anything. I'm just like, I just want to drink water. Then I sleep. Then I wake up the next day and I'm like famished. But then it's like at that point, any kind of like real meals are good. You know, eating like eggs or I even remember after Kyrgyzstan, it was just like eggs and meatballs and whatever they had, like any real food. I was just like, I basically just eating like four times as much as I would normally eat. Uh, I do feel like the protein shakes have helped with my recovery where I'm like not feeling so kind of desperate for food because it does get to a point where it's like, it kind of like takes over my mental space from like, if I don't eat something, I'm like close to like, a, like in a mental breakdown where I'm just like emotional about food, you know, cause I'm just like, so kind of dependent on it. Uh, mm-hmm. sleep is definitely the most important thing for recovery, but it can be hard the first couple of nights after a race because my body's just in so much pain that it's hard to rest. Or it's like I go to sleep and I wake up and my hands are totally numb or my or like my wrists are in like super pain from being on the bike or, you know, my feet. All these things are just like kind of grouchy. And then mm-hmm. a couple of days later, it's usually quite a bit better. And then I can actually like get some good solid sleep. And that seems to help a lot. Uh, you know, this past summer I was doing races that would take me like four days up to four days or so. And then I would take a week off and then I do another one. Um, And that was kind of a risk because I was like, well, I don't know if I'm going to be recovered, but basically I finished the race. I do absolutely nothing for a week. And then I just go do it again. And it worked. I, Mm. you know, I was like, you kind of don't know how it's going to go, but I just did it and it was fine. Um, You know, I don't know if I'm at my, top the top of my game but I'm still doing it and I'm still competing and then I don't think I've ever been in a race where another woman's beaten me you know so uh it's pretty amazing yeah, I'm trying to, but I'm trying to win the overall you know in this oh, yeah, that women have the capacity to win these races overall there just aren't that many women racing in them so that's like a huge thing for me is encouraging more women to give it a go. And that doesn't have to be in competition, but bikepacking in general, traveling by bike, you know, these adventures are out there. It's like, you can do it competitively. You can have your own experience anywhere in the mix. But I, I mean, I feel like I just kind of happened upon this sport. And then, you know, I think a lot of women don't even know it exists. Yeah. And I mean, and that's what I mean, well, part of what you're doing, I mean, in your grit program or girls riding into tomorrow, right? You, you, know, you founded this biking program for middle school girls in 2017. It started in Anchorage by Sea of Expanded to Tucson, which is awesome. And, um, and, you know, it's this mentorship program all about building strength and confidence in these young girls. And, you know, you're introducing them to this sport early, which is awesome, but you're also kind of helping them with these other really important life skills, you know? So I'd actually love to hear a little bit about that program. Yeah, absolutely. I'm so pumped on this. It's a girls program, first in Anchorage. Now that I'm starting one in Tucson this year, and we ride together for six weeks uh, to build up to an overnight adventure ride. And I work mm. this year, I'll be working with girls that are between 11 and 13 years old. And they're so cool. Uh, it's such a cool age. You know, I remember being that age. And it's like when you kind of you want to take on these big challenges and you're figuring out who you are. And, you know, it's like you kind of a lot is changing. So I love that age. It's also the age when girls, a lot of girls stop doing sports 
Um, I feel like when you're like little, you just play, you run around, you have fun with your friends. And then when you get to kind of middle school, high school age, you have all these different pressures in, you know, you, if you're not great at sports, you might stop being active. And that's what I love about bikes is that you don't have to be great at it to enjoy it, to do it, to, you know, ride for transportation, ride for adventure. You know, there's so many different things you can do on a bike. Um, so part of it is that we provide the girls, mostly low-income students, with bikes and equipment, and at the end, they get to keep them. So then they can come back in future years as student mentors. They can have a bike to get around town, you know, whatever they want to do with it. Um, so it's something I would have loved to do when I was young. I didn't really start riding till later in life, and so that's why I do it. But it's it's a pretty short program, but it's still so cool to see the girls kind of improve and gain confidence and, you know, just spend time with them because really so much of it is just spending time outside uh, for the girls with confident women and and the girls just talk, you know, they talk about what's going on in their lives, what they're dealing with. I feel like there's so many kind of different pressures at that age that it's just good to have an outlet. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I'd love to know if, you know, especially from your experiences and, and, you know, seeing other women, girls struggle, and maybe it's a little bit older for you, but does food and body image, does that kind of stuff ever come up in discussions, just given the prevalence of disordered eating and body image issues and all that in the athletic community, as well as in young <laughs> girls and boys? You know, it's never come up in that, in grit, in that age. Mm. Um, have found that if, for the most part, uh, kids are a lot of kids are are quite a bit bigger than than they were when I was young. I think mm. I'm not really sure why, but I do think like, yeah, more kids are overweight, uh, less active, you know, doing less. But we don't focus on that at all because it actually mm. doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what your, you know, your kind of body image is. It's like bikes are for everybody, you Absolutely. know. And and a huge part about it is like. We provide tons of snacks and treats for them because that's also something that makes you feel, I think kids feel confident and comfortable because they're, they're like out of their comfort zone. You know, of they're course. riding a bike farther than they ever have. Stopping every 40 minutes and having a snack kind of keeps them like mentally with it. Even if you don't need that many snacks, it doesn't matter. It's like something that just keeps them going. Um so I feel like food has been a huge part of the program as far as like, yeah, I mean, it's almost like bribery. <laughs> hey, get to the top of the hill and I'll give you an M&M. <laughs> hey, whatever. But it works, you know, or whatever, you know, a cookie, whatever. Sure. Uh, but yeah, for Grit, I have um, JoJ Bars. I don't know if you've heard of this company. It was started by Jess Sarah. And she's super, a super advocate for getting more women on bikes. And so she's given us all these like, uh, you know, nutrition bars for the program. And they're like nice. great flavors, like pancakes and bacon and apple pie and whatever, you know, and it's like, uh -huh. I think bars have, you know, somewhere close to 300 calories, which is basically like a little meal. Uh, you know, you probably don't need that for a 10 mile ride, but why not? You know, and it's also like, yeah. it'd be cool to share with, with the girls that it's like this there's a woman cyclist that started her own bar company and this is her and she's helping you guys out because she wants you guys to ride your bikes. You know, yeah. it's like, I, I think these stories, it's like, yeah, riding's one thing, snacks are one thing, but like 
the for the girls realizing like they could do so many different things with their lives and by like riding their bikes and yeah it's hard but taking on a challenge and overcoming it and gaining confidence is like they could put that into anything else that they're doing you know along the way they'll be like oh yeah I did that super hard bike ride you know this other thing that's stressing me out it's maybe something I can overcome I love it that's such a cool program that you have and I hope the Tucson one goes goes well. We, when does that one take place? Yeah, so it's happening. Uh, we're starting this Sunday. And then we'll oh, ride together awesome. Tuesdays and Wednesdays after school and every other Sunday. Uh, to, cool. and, then, and then the final trip is a camp out at Catalina State Park. Oh, so just awesome. north of town. Very, very cool. Um, all right, just a couple more nutrition questions for you, and then I'll send you on your way because I know you have more of these to do today. Um, so what does everyday eating look like for you, you know, these days? You know, do you, I mean, it sounds like you don't really follow any particular eating style, but um, just kind of curious kind of what a typical day that might look like when you're just kind of training and doing your thing in between these big events. Oh, yeah. I mean, right now, actually, it's great because I I bought my first house in December. Oh, congrats. Uh, Yeah, I'm so pumped. It's so cool. But it's the first time I've really had my own space where, you know, it's like I can cook meals without sharing space with someone else trying to do their own thing. Uh, So it's 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 so much freedom. Um, Every morning I I make like this huge salad uh, with lemon tahini dressing and rice and avocado toast with eggs. And that's pretty much what I have every morning. And what a great way to start the day. It's like always delicious and makes me feel great. Uh, I end up making a lot of the same things because that's just what I feel like eating. But that's kind of a staple and mostly just cooking all of our food at home right now. Unless you're on the road. What are are some of your favorite things to cook? Yeah, so that breakfast, I uh, marinate uh, steaks and then grill them. Um, What else? making like spaghetti, um, trying to think of, of other things we have, pizza, uh, mm-hmm. and then putting like avocado and greens on it. Uh, so, you know, like a combination of really hearty food and then fresh food, make a lot of smoothies. Um, yeah, that's about it. Have a good cup of coffee in the morning. Awesome. And are you, so you just did you know, this, this race, do you have, um, any races on the horizon that you're kind of training for, or what, what's kind of, what are things looking like right now in terms of your training? I know you have the Ted talk and the grit. Yeah. What about, what about more on the competitive side? What are you prepping for right now? Yeah. I mean, uh, so mostly stuff around Arizona for right now and the kind of culmination of that will be a time trial on the full Arizona trail. So it's nice. 800 miles, single track from the Mexican border to the Utah border. It's so hard. It's just so insanely hard because it's it's a hiking trail. So it's uh, like on a bike. That's tough. Yeah. <laughs> it's a lot of walking. Um, but I'll do that beginning of April. I'm, I want to make it a group start for women. So open invite. Any woman can come join and then have, you know, they could ride the full 800. They could ride 300 to Picket Post Trailhead, which is a pretty common distance, or just 140 miles back to Tucson. Um, just to get more women out there because very few women participate in this kind of stuff. Um, mm. Yeah. And then right after that, we'll be going to Europe for the rest of the summer. Um, Ooh, what are you doing out there? Yeah. So there's a like a 800 or 900 mile road race in Catalonia. But before that, I'm doing a women's bike packing challenge. So 
that'll be with 50 women from around the world to ride um, this route in kind of uh, kind of near Valencia, Spain. Um, and it's a mix of dirt pavement. Um, and it's just super beautiful. I've never ridden the route, but that's like not a race, but getting more women on bikes, kind of leapfrogging each other. It's all self-supported, but so fun to have a community out there. So this will be the second event like that, that I've hosted and gosh, such a blast. So much fun. And that's awesome. And is Rue, your wife going to be kind of documenting the whole thing? Yes. Yep. She'll be awesome. there. So, oh, so cool. Yeah, it's so cool actually, that she's like your photographer and and I mean such beautiful. You sent me a few photos for this episode, such gorgeous work that she does. That's really awesome that she can take part in, you know, your adventures in that capacity. Yeah, it's so amazing. Amazing for me to see these photos and then be able to share share these stories and have other people have something to look at or videos to share. I'm super, super grateful. So fun to work with her too. Awesome. All right. One last question. What challenges do you still face with your nutrition? challenges with nutrition i mean my main challenge in all of this writing is my breathing like even now i'm like not even speaking at capacity because i breathed in so much dust um mm. during the 24-hour race i did it was just so so dusty and so anything with nutrition that could help my asthma would be like a huge help a huge improvement so i'm always looking for different stuff somebody recommended uh these chinese herbs to kind of clear out my lungs so i've been taking those um you know i don't know if there's any difference but anything like that 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 could kind of help me breathe better i'd be happy with um yeah otherwise i i feel good about food i eat a lot and uh when it's delicious i'm happy when it's not i deal with it that's about it (laughs) seems to be working for you (laughs) i imagine i mean i imagine i mean you have your inhaler of course which i mean that's like a whole challenge in itself and that i know that cut short your last tour divide attempt because the smoke and everything but i I imagine nutrition maybe like drinking is drinking just easier for you than drinking your calories, um, than having to chew. And I imagine that's like harder, right? Yeah, definitely. I mean, so, you know, with these races, anytime I get some kind of resupply stop, I'll try to drink something super high calorie, whether that's like a juice, a smoothie, milk, whatever. Um, just because it's such a great, uh, kind of supplement to calories. It's like you get a big bang or melted ice cream. That's a great one uh yeah sun or uh, milkshakes that's great too because it's like it is a lot a lot faster um but you know it's like real food is such a huge part of it too at some point you're just like i just can't tolerate anything sweet you just need to find something a little better or even you know sometimes it's like not high calorie stuff but i'm just like oh having a pound of strawberries is going to make me feel so much better (laughs) than whatever else i've been eating so yeah little basket of strawberries on my bike and I'm just like eating them and throwing the green part to the side of the road (laughs) yeah (laughs) amazing amazing all right I always finish these interviews with my quick bites questions and then I'll send you on your way favorite meal or snack when you're in a hurry oh man favorite meal or snack a a salad yeah favorite meal or snack when you're not in a hurry (laughs) salad no, what's, in, uh, what's in this salad <laughs> i need to know it's so good it's like what i've been making every day it's uh yeah so i make lemon tahini dressing mixed cream oh, so good blueberries uh kind of these pickled beets cucumber mm. tomato basil 
and then yeah, salad with rice. Can't beat it. I can't blame you. I mean, you're eating like such crazy stuff on the bike, like having a really fresh, delicious salad, like that must hit the spot so much. Yeah, it's so good. Or you're uh, just like out there dreaming of like rice and broccoli. Just, totally. It's something so basic, but you're like, oh man, that would be so good. Or a couple of fried <laughs> eggs. You're like, oh God, love that. I hear you. Favorite post-race meal? Oof. Uh, I had a In-N-Out burger after 24 hours full Pueblo, and that was awesome. So good. So I had biggest, a, biggest oh, cooking catastrophe. Biggest cooking catastrophe. Mm, man, time to think. Nothing comes straight to mind. You know. Oh. What's okay. yours? <laughs> oh God. I yeah, there've been too many. <laughs> Uh, probably set off the fire alarm way too many times, uh, or smoke alarm. I definitely have switched the salt and the sugar in a baking episode. Oh, no way. <laughs> That's definitely happened. I forgot about something in the oven. Oh yeah. Way too many. I have, I have a two and a four year old, so I'm going to use that as my excuse. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. Um, most bizarre or exotic food that you've ever tried. Ooh, most bizarre. I mean, I think I ate some super weird stuff in Thailand, like kind of like a dried worm. That was not good. Or like <laughs> they had like crickets that they would eat like potato chips. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, which sounds fine. But then it was like they were like really, really big. So it's not just like crunchy. There's like Ugh. something gooey Chewy in, in there. Too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I can't get behind that. Not uh, great. Yeah. What is your favorite beverage? Favorite beverage, water. Uh, what foods in that... mind? Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, that counts. That's whatever that counts. answer is the right answer. <laughs> what foods remind you of growing up? What are your comfort foods? Mm, salmon, um, strawberry rhubarb pie. Um, yeah, that's about it. What's your favorite ice cream flavor, melted or unmelted? Mm, probably vanilla. But I love ice cream. It's my favorite dessert. Mm, nice. And top three items of gear that are most essential to your active lifestyle? Uh, bicycle. Um, let's see. There's this little top two bag where I put all my snacks called the gas tank. Uh, and I guess my helmet. Awesome. How many bikes do you own, by the way? Well, I probably have like four, I think. Oh, okay. For some reason, I thought you'd have more. I, mean, I had no idea. <laughs> Yeah, I try, I try not to have like tons and tons, but, uh, my wife rides the same size so we can share bikes, which is pretty ah, that's helpful. Very good. Awesome. Well, thank you, Lil, so much for your time today. This was so much fun and I really, really enjoyed chatting with you today and even just doing all the prep for this interview. Like you are such an awesome person and athlete. So I really look forward to seeing what else you accomplish. And of course, watching your Ted talk that comes up. So good luck oh, with thanks. that. <laughs> thanks so much. And thanks for being so prepared. Oh, of course. You, you got a lot of, out there on you and it was really fun to, to research. Um, and also learn about your sport. Like this is actually a really a new thing for me. And I mentioned to you when I reached out, you know, one of my private nutrition clients um, is an endurance cyclist. And he's like, you have to interview Lael in your podcast. I'm like, cool. <laughs> and I was like, I don't know anything about ultra endurance, like the bike packing and all that. And it was really fascinating to just learn about it and read about your adventures and 
you know, I do, you know, distance running and ultras and stuff, mostly just trail running, but um, it's it's really fascinating. So huge does respect. It, does it make you want to go bikepacking? I, well, hmm, maybe not right now. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have a really interesting relationship with cycling and, and I mean, I definitely have like fallen off of a road oh. bike before, like clipped in and like totally messed my knee up. And oh, I was like, that. I'm just always afraid of falling. But I mean, I love cycling. I remember being young and just riding my bike around the neighborhood and just that feeling of like freedom and like wind in your face and your hair and like just seeing so much. So I would love to really get into it more, especially when I get older and like running just hurts my body more. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Well, um, but my mother-in-law, she's like in her what early mid 70s and is such a badass on the bike. And she does like big, these big, bikepacking trips they're supported but still and you know she she's ridden across the country I mean she does all this crazy stuff and and it's awesome like I I just I have so much respect for that and it's such a great role model for my kids and and she really got my husband into endurance activities too so it's it's just all awesome I I love I love hearing about the great things that people are doing for and it's not, as you said, it doesn't have to be racing. It's just like getting out there and having adventures and like just experiencing the world in different ways. You know, it's it's all great totally. stuff. Right. Totally. That's and awesome. Thanks again, Lil. Have a good day. All right. Thanks so much. Have a good one. Bye. And that wraps up our show for today. Thank you so much, Lael, for your time and for inspiring us all to infuse more adventure into our lives. I'll link to her on social media in the show notes if you want to give her a follow. And we'll also throw some fun movie and other links out there as well on the many things that we discussed in today's show if you want to check them out. If you enjoyed this episode or any of my previous ones, please head on over to iTunes and rate or review the show. There's a link on my website as well as on my profile on Instagram. It helps me spread the word to other listeners and that helps me keep the show going. This is, of course, free content to you. It requires a ton of work on my end. And that is a very quick and easy way that you can support me and the show. Thank you all. And as always, please feel free to reach out via email or social media if you want to get in touch. Have a great day.